welcome to Backstage at Brick, your friendly neighborhood podcast all about what's going on in the performing arts department at Brick, on stage, backstage, everything in between. And I have some of that in between here in the podcast studio with me today. So if some of you listened to my episode a little while back, I had um, Nydia Medina on the show talking about producing because I get so many questions about what I do, what producing is. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk to people who are affiliated with Brick about what it's like to produce. So I have a very special guest in the studio with me today, Kelly Kerwin, line producer at The Public. Hello, Kelly. Hi, BJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Sure. So for anyone listening and who has been listening for a while, you know that Brick does a co-presentation with the Under the Radar Festival um, really every year since I've been here. And that Under the Radar Festival is part of the public theater's programming. And so that's how I originally met Kelly, because Kelly works at the public theater and at the time was producing for the Under the Radar Festival. So I'm so glad that you're here to talk about producing yeah, <laughs> all of the things. And, you know, the... I started the podcast the same way um, with Nydia, who I think you know. I think all like oh, New yes. York City theater producers know <laughs> oh, each yes. other, honestly. Yes, we were coworkers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we started with just like, what what do you do? Your title is line producer. Mm-hmm. You work at the public theater. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be really interesting to hear maybe first ontologically what it producing is mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and then maybe just like a little bit of like what does that mean day to day what producing is yeah so from a more macro perspective I really c- come at producing from somebody who really cares about the art the artists my background is in dramaturgy and I really feel like my job as a producer is to be the glue that that holds the entire process together and the person that honestly just fixes problems <laughs> um, whenever they might arise. Uh, I, w- I was recently working with Sam Pinkleton, amazing choreographer uh, on Soft Power, and he said, he looked at me and he goes, I feel like what you do is just a lot of micro victories. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds totally right. Where I will say a series of little fires I put out every day, also a series of micro victories also feels um, maybe the positive spin on that. But, but I think it's just really what can I do to make the artist be able to make the art? And it is that, you know, solving these press and marketing issues that might arise for them so that they don't have to work on that? Is that like kind of brainstorming with the production manager to figure out a you know more cost effective way to get X or Y and and why? I am the. I really kind of figure that I am the the artist's advocate when I'm the producer. Um, yeah, so it can it can manifest in so many different ways, but really, I just feel like I am there for the artists when I'm working at an institution. I am there as the institution's liaison, but but really on the side of the artist to try and help them navigate through the institution to help them get to where they're trying to go, which is really just being able to be artists. And uh, so a, a mentor of mine. Rebecca Rugg, who actually was the artistic producer at Steppenwolf, and she's worked at Yale. She used to be the dramaturg at The Public under George C. Wolfe. She's this amazing woman. Um, she, she, when I was in graduate school, she makes all of the dramaturgs 
do something where they have to be a generative artist. And she says that she thinks it's really important that they have to be in the hot seat and do something and make something and then be judged by other people. So I that exercise, it's this called Passion Project, but that exercise was really important not only for me as a dramaturg but also for me as a as a emerging producer because I feel like understanding and that was not the only time I've been put in the hot seat I have directed some things you know I've 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 been a co-writer on some things but to be in the hot seat as an artist and understand what that is like I so I feel like I totally understand what what in a way like I understand what you know a director or a writer or choreographer is going through when they're trying to get their show up because I've I've been there even in a small way like the New York Times was never coming to see my show but I but I really (laughs) felt like the pressure before I really felt like what that means to like have something that you're making something and how vulnerable that can feel Mm. so like being in the hot seat before uh, has helped me I think also be a producer so that's so that's a little bit of just like how from a from a philosophical perspective I I feel my role as a producer is just really being there for the artists and how I understand that. And so can you, I love that you brought up your background in dramaturgy and maybe for folks who have never been introduced to that word before, if you can, you know, if, if you can briefly describe what that is and what that means. And do you feel like you use and are able to bring some of those dramaturgical skills to your job as a line producer or maybe to producing in general? Yes. So first and foremost, I totally feel that I am a dramaturg as producer. I really bring mm. my dramaturgy background with me as a producer. I kind of, I mean, I went, I have an, a BFA and an MFA in dramaturgy, Whoa. which is so I did not realize that. many years of dramaturgy training. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like even if I, I can never shake it, I'm just a dramaturg. Like if anyone was on an airplane and said, is there a dramaturg? Like I, I have to raise my hand. Last flight I took. Yes. Funny. They, <laughs> there was a call. They needed a dramaturg. Yeah. Well, had I been there, there I would. Script emergency. <laughs> they needed the. They needed the dramatur- thousand feet. It was <laughs> harrowing. Yes. Well, that's we had to. Too bad I wasn't land there. Without one. Yeah. It's so tough when when it has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I. But because of that, I have had to explain what a dramaturg is in so many different ways at cocktail parties. I'm sure. So I'm here's sure. a few of the ways I have described I can't it. Can't wait. Um, so I've like bated breath waiting for this because I still don't know what a dramaturg is. Sure, does. sure. So this is my favorite example and it's now unfortunately becoming a little dated because you'll Ooh, see why. Okay. I know I'm getting long in the tooth. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, so in the original days of Project Runway, there was Tim Gunn who serves as... I would argue the dramaturg for fashion. So he is not there. Yeah, he is not there to tell you how to make your dress. And he is not there at the end of the day to judge your dress. But he can tell you is like if the silhouette's a little off, if the color he doesn't think is great. Um, You know, he'll he'll he, he is there to help you make the dress best dress possible. And he will give you his unfiltered opinion. But at the end of the day, he's there to support you. Mm. And when the dress walks down the runway, he's not there at the end to judge it. Mm. So that is how I kind of encapsulate what a dramaturg can do for artists, which is, you know, when you're working, when I'm working with playwrights and directors, it's really trying to help them shape their work. To I, I feel like I am there on behalf of the play 
not necessarily on behalf of the playwright or behalf of the director. Like I am there on behalf of making the art the best it can possibly be, but my name will never be on the poster. So, you know, at the end of the day, if they want to make the decisions they want to make and I disagree with them, that's fine. You know, it is their, it is their work. It is the playwright's play. It is the director's production. It is their collaboration. And I am there to help make, give them the, the, be the most, uh, the, um, most friendly critic I can be <laughs> and yeah, give, yeah. yeah. So, and it's really, you know, being an editor for the work, working with the player, working with the director. There's also, you know, the, the having a historical knowledge of, of plays that have come before so that I can easily reference, you know, well, this play that did this. So, you know, there's having that, that background has been important, but, uh, and, you know, being able to have some, some research at my fingertips to be able to try and become a, a quick expert on something, but really it's, it's to just help a playwright and director or theater artists or devised theater makers create the best show by being, um, helping I design the ideas, being the eyes and ears of, uh, outside eyes to help them create their art however it needs to be there <laughs> so you can see how that can be like how I'm, I go come to producing from that yeah yeah well and and I can see that uh, but I would love to hear maybe more specifically like how how one would go from a, a dramaturgical background a BFA and an MFA in dramaturgy <laughs> and end up a producer like how, like how did that did you want to become a producer did you fall into it what yeah so I I got my BFA in dramaturgy and I didn't know that that existed. It by exists the way. at two colleges. Wow. <laughs> one is Carnegie Mellon and wow. one is my alma mater, the Theater School of DePaul University. So last time I checked, there's only two places you can get your BFA in dramaturgy slash dramatic criticism. And I switched into that program about when, when I was a sophomore in college. So I wasn't a high schooler knowing, oh, I will seek out dramaturgy. So I, yeah, who, I, who does? Who, exactly. I mean, good on them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> bring more, bring them on. But uh, yeah, so I, I entered the theater school at DePaul as a theater management major thinking that that made sense for me. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get a business background and then a theater background and then I will be able to open a theater. That was my, oh. that was my, and I'll like do all the theater uh, was my quest as I left Springfield, Missouri um, to, to enter the world of theater. So, so I got my BFA in dramaturgy and really was hoping still to really be a director, but felt like dramaturgy was, I just wanted to read all these plays. It was like, mm. oh, I can read all these plays and take script analysis and take all these dramaturgy classes. It sounds so cool. And then after I got out of college, I just kept getting roles, like get, get dramaturgy gigs, because my friends would be like, oh, I need a dramaturg. And they didn't know many because there aren't as many of us. So then in I. Springfield, Missouri. No, or? this was actually in Chicago. Okay, so okay. in Chicago. Yeah. Springfield, Missouri. I don't I've, I've yet to have a dramaturgy gig come my way. But <laughs> if I do, I'll let you know. Springfield, Missouri, if you're listening, you have a hometown dramaturg. It's true. I can I can become local in my in my childhood bedroom. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then I kept uh, getting some some it was it was cool. And then I met Rebecca Rugg, who I talked about just moments ago. Wow. And she has her MFA and DFA in dramaturgy from Yale, but was working as the artistic producer at Steppenwolf. And I was working in literary at Steppenwolf. And I thought, gee whiz, her job is awesome. And so I kept following her around and would see her work with artists and give them notes and help make their shows even better. And I went like, oh, wow, that's totally like what I want to do. 
And so then I entered the program at Yale, no feeling like I was already a dramaturg, but knowing I was there to really try and become an artistic producer. So I went through that program, and then there was this curriculum that had been stealthily being developed, uh, which was the artistic producing track, which is now there. But I was the first person to really do it, which was working with the theater management program while I was there to say that I've done this artistic producing track, which is where I, I did six different classes with the theater management program, but also fully have an MFA in dramaturgy and was really there to try and figure out how to become an artistic producer. So then I got my MFA in dramaturgy, but really that experience was me trying to hone the skills of what it means to be an artistic producer. So, and I, I'm so glad you said artistic producer because I've, ha- I've had this conversation with people, and actually Nitty and I talked about mm-hmm. this, of that, what does that specific word, that phrase, artistic producer, mean to you? Sure. So I feel that it means that you're there to be the problem solver of anything artistic so and helping the anything artistic find its way working with the artist but and that can show itself in budgetary and financial creativity where it's this like okay how do we you know move money from and I don't do this at the public but like when I freelance you know it's like how do I move money from here to here to help I mean, when I was working here at Brick, like, how do we get the smoke machine? Oh, <laughs> um, the smoke machine. So, yeah. So yeah, be, you didn't want to use the lawnmower DF50? I know. I know. Lord. So, but, but really trying to find ways to help make the artistic product the best that it can be, I think, is what the artistic producer does. Because I think, you know, you, you have commercial producers and they're really the people that can help, you know, raise the money and find the investors. And I thankfully don't don't do that and so that's not <laughs> an interest of yours necessarily that, is commercial producing not necessarily if if a cool commercial producer which i've met a few recently there are some pretty good ones out there you know knocked on my door and said hey want to talk i would say okay we can talk but i'm not i'm not knocking on their door that did you sense. hear that commercial producers <laughs> knock on kelly's door we can we'll talk we'll, we'll, we can have a coffee talk. yeah so and i would love to go back to what you said about i'm so sorry it's rebecca yeah, Rebecca Rugg. Rebecca Rugg. You said you saw her working at Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf and you said, wow, her job is awesome. Mm-hmm. What did you see? What was it in that moment that made you go, oh, my word, this job is awesome. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So I was seeing her work with the actual artists on the actual plays that were happening at Steppenwolf. So she would be in the room when they would rehearse. She would watch runs. She would give them notes. She We had... Um, this amazing program at Steppenwolf. I don't know that it's still in existence. It was the call, the garage rep program where they had visiting uh, companies come in and do and and do shows in rep. And she was really there to help get their shows up and and give them dramaturgical feedback, but also producerial help to get their shows up and running. Um, I ended up being a part of a garage rep show, so I also got to see her do that job as the dramaturg on a on a show. And and so I just. Yeah, it was really just being the person at the front lines helping make these shows amazing. And then from from where I was at, at the literary point, was that I was reading a lot of plays that were so far early, early in the planning process to where it's like, oh, we're reading plays to really um, talk and think about them. Would these be right for our season? But she was, I felt like, in the thick of what was going on at the theater, in the room with the artists making the work happen. And did you find that at the time 
like may, maybe more satisfying than being someone who is perhaps simply reading plays. I say simply, I know that's a lot, but rather than someone reading plays. Yeah, yeah, because I think at the time I was by day being the literary apprentice and then at night I was assistant directing at other theaters elsewhere across Chicago. I mean, other theater, really. It was at the House Theater of Chicago. I wasn't like the assistant director of the world. I, I was working at, at a cool theater um, at night often as their assistant director. So I would be in, in route, like be in the rehearsal room with the director. And then so I felt so I was getting, you know, a dual experience in a way that I had been able to bring for myself. But I was seeing her kind of bridge the gap of she would be reading plays, too, and chiming in about what she thought about them, but then also being with the people making the actual product that we would be seeing, you know, in four weeks after rehearsal. It, you know, she was she was really, I think, being in 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 the room where it happened. Oh, actually, no. oh no, I can't oh, believe I did it. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> Please do. Don't so let anyone hear it. <laughs> Goodness gracious. No, it's great. So, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me and continue to ask me, like, how? How do you learn how to produce? How did you learn how to do it? How did you become one? In fact, I just had a meeting today, a lovely meeting, and it came up. And, you know, no one's grilling me. They're just curious. They're yeah. Like, how, did, how did this happen for you? And so I would love to ask you the same thing of how you think it happened for you, maybe how long it took mm -hmm. from when you were like, oh, I think this is what I want to do. And then if there is something really specific that you can point to that was a, like, that is the thing that was the catalyst, that experience was the important experience, if, if there's something you can point to. Yeah. So the first time I found myself producing something is probably then the time I can point to as when I really went, oh, this is something that I'm interested in. And it all started because I wanted to be a director. <laughs> so I was with this group of friends from college in Chicago, uh, what would then become what is now called The Inconvenience, which is this cool multidisciplinary, mostly theater, but very much dance, performing arts uh, collective in Chicago. But before it really became formalized, we were a group of friends talking about trying to make some theater, and 12 of those friends lived in a loft in Chicago. Together? <laughs> Together. With, wow. With two bathrooms, one shower. I was there a lot, but I did not live there. Uh, that honestly sounds harder than producing. Yeah. <laughs> there was one kitchen and just, you know, it was, I think, heaven on earth for some people. But for me, I was like, this is a lot of people in a very large loft, but just still, you know, not... Not my, uh, I, I lived in a, in a one bedroom uptown. Uh, but we, before I even had moved officially back to Chicago, I was, I had come back to visit and I wanted to get some directing experience. Cause as I told you, I was getting this dramaturgy work and I had this idea of like, well, if I can make a play festival happen, then, ev then a bunch of people could direct. So it's not like me just trying to direct. It would be amazing. Multiple people getting opportunities to direct. Amazing. And so then, you so know, wait, wait, let me get <laughs> so you, you decided to create, produce your own work so that you could make yourself director. But we're like, but I can't just do that. So I'll just make a lot of work yes. so that lots of people can be director, including me. Yes. I e love it. Exactly. I exactly. Absolutely I was like, it. you can, and you can, and you can. And, and then, can. exactly, we'll do it together. And then you can write a play, and you can write a play. And so. That's so great. Yeah. And so then I ended up producing this short play festival so that I could direct something. 
<laughs> and then I ended up really liking the producing part. Amazing. So with that was that where you were like, oh, maybe I should get a second degree. This is this is just where I learned that I could do it and that it it was exciting but I hadn't fully jumped into this is what I should be doing it just felt like oh I did this thing and it was cool and now I'm working in the literary office at Steppenwolf and seeing somebody do it on a very large scale in a very cool way and so this is when I think the wheels really started to totally turn Um, and I would say the aha moment was probably when I I did this thing right when I was getting ready. My apprenticeship at Steppenwolf was was ending. And so I was um, meeting with as many department heads as possible. And I met with the artistic director, the late Martha Levy, who died a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, She was amazing. And a lot of people were giving me a lot of advice, which was great. And her advice was just follow your nose and find the people who you think are doing really cool things and try and be close to them. I was like, okay, great. And then I just was thinking, well, Becca Rugg is who is doing the cool things. So I'm going to try and do what she did. And I said, Rebecca Rugg does go by Becca. And I'd say, Becca, I think I want to go get my MFA from Yale, like what you did. And she goes, don't do that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then after a while, she came around and she goes, yeah, actually, that makes sense. You should you should you should try to do that. So did you get a producing job right out of Yale? Uh, Right out of Yale, I did a year where I was working on a DFA-ish where I was going up to Yale for two days a week. I was sleeping on a friend's couch one night a week, but I was living in Brooklyn. So I was spending a year kind of figuring it out. I was able to produce a short um, uh, three-week-long festival that I was able to get a small grant for. So it was like making my own work. So there's a year of making my own work that I produced two things, uh, a a show and a, a festival. And then I was on Wall Street for three months. And then I got a job at the public. So. Wow, Wall Street's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so, so no, the answer is that I did not get a producing job right out of Yale. I, but like I, a year. But a year, yeah. Okay. And then three months on Wall Street is actually not so bad. I, I, was, not, I was not a broker or anything. I was, an, I was an assistant. But I was very much on Wall Street, on, <laughs> which was like, crazy. There's nothing like being on Wall Street for a minute that will make an artist yeah. work really hard to get an artist job. Yes, very, <laughs> very, very much so. Like, oh, just kidding. Yeah, what I was, was like, well, good to know I can just apply for jobs here because here we go, I'm at a computer, so yeah. And so was that job the, because I originally met you since you were producing for the Under the Radar Festival, yeah. was that that gig? Yes, that was that gig. So I, I that fall, I'd spent the year at Yale and that fall I had really, I said this was my time to try and find a job and had a lot of interviews at a lot of places, including for your job, BJ. No. I actually don't think I've ever told you oh that. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Oh. So you beat me. For this job. I don't know. I think they're fools. You're amazing. <laughs> um, That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Because I interviewed for that job, of course, and a few other jobs. And then some jobs that were not totally at all producing jobs, but it were in theater in some capacity that I wasn't quite right for. And then when this job rolled around, I'd been really, really wanting to work for Maria Goyanes um, a lot. And so when this job uh, came who up, doesn't? It, who doesn't? I know. I know. And so then thankfully this job happened and it was the right fit and here I am but and you know I 
I miss you dearly because um, listeners, uh, Kelly is now, it sounds like, has shifted away from the Under the Radar Festival yeah. specifically and shifted into mainstream. Yeah, the main stage yeah. work at main the public. Stage, yeah. Mainstream. Which is main, which is still the mainstream. The mainstream. Yeah, more mainstream in comparison uh, to Under the Radar. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I would love to chat really briefly about... Um, just if you can, what that difference is between like festival producing and main stage producing or the presenting versus producing. And, you know, maybe if it wants to be specific to the public, it can, or maybe it is more general about what those differences are, but I'd love to hear those. Yeah. So I guess from the main stage side or, or really producing, I would say more traditional theater pieces being like plays musicals uh it really is working with the getting involved with the artists as early as possible specifically at the public it's it's the minute that we know this show is going to be in the season I try and get in the room to see if they're doing a reading if they're doing a development if if there's any early meetings that are happening you know I try and be a mouse in someone's pocket to just try and learn all all of the different things everyone's talking about so I can try and be the holder of all the artistic assumptions that people are making about the piece and then as the piece then goes into rehearsal I just am trying to be there alongside the artists alongside the stage managers to really be to be there again, their advocate, their person, their, their friendly person in the room that can help solve problems, that can help, you know, make things happen. And then on up through tech, I'm just, I just feel like it's a, it's a marathon of running alongside them until opening night and then putting out little fires along the way, having those, those micro victories along the way and just really getting there, but really having this intimate bond with the show, uh, and, and, you know, really seeing it morph, seeing it change, you know, the, the first off power, which I just produced line produced at the public, you know, David Henry Huang and Janine Tesori and Lee Silverman and Sam Pinkleton were this quartet of amazing creatives that would just stay late nights at the public. And it would just be, can we get them some pizza? Like, what can we do? Cause they need to sit here and just make change. They were making changes all the way up until press came. So which is really exciting. But of course, it means that things are changing. And here I am to try and just help make things. It, it is beautiful, organized chaos, the, the, the idea of making theater. So how to Isn't make it. it? Yes. Yeah. So how to yes. make it the least amount of chaos as possible, or at least manageable chaos, or at least just chaos you feel like you can just drive into. So that's a little bit, I guess, about how I feel about just kind of pr- that like you're really like kind of just in it with the artists of producing. Um and really just helping make their show happen in the way that makes them feel like they got to do everything they wanted to try and be able to do. So for something like Under the Radar, when it's presenting, uh, all of the pieces for the most part, not always, but <laughs> for the most part, they have, they have um, these artists have made the show already elsewhere or or they have worked on it and if they are premiering it at under the radar or at a festival but I'll stick to under the radar because that's really what I know if they're premiering it then the idea is that they have developed it to the point where they are now ready to launch it so that it can or they've or it's already toured Europe and this is its 15th city that it's going to so really Um, My job as the producer of something like that is to try and, again, still have all the artistic assumptions, really try and understand what what all the pieces are doing 
so that then I can advocate for these artists on their behalf, even if they're not around, because a lot of them descend upon New York City, you know, in January, and here sure. we go. But yeah. then how can I go and, you know, either I've tried to see the piece live, like I, I would try to go you know, as far away as Boston. Uh, but, you know, Mark Russell would really go to a lot of the places and, and get to see it live. But um, or Chicago. I got to go to Boston and Chicago. Um, but but to really see it live can just really help you uh, be able to articulate like, no, but for real, these artists need this thing. Like I have seen it. I can tell you, even though it sounds weird, they need to be in a small room with six chairs or, or whatever it is and you know I'll watch a video I'll talk to these artists on the phone or Skype just to really try and be still trying to be their advocate but really being um, able to again try and make the piece be as as successful as it can possibly be and get it to when they show up we ha we can just get it on its feet and because for under the radar the tech they, it, you might have a day of tech a day and a half if you're very lucky. Um, so yes, as, you, as know, you know, I know it. I do you know, know, as you know, yeah. So then or it's, you might have no <laughs> items, right? Or the truck tech. might have been totally lost, and you have to get a totally right. new. It's my uh, favorite memory. Everything that you've had to it's come my up favorite with. Favorite memory. Yeah. So as you know, it can just be a lot of how do we make the art as amazing as possible on a on ten minutes notice. Um, but it sound it sounds like having just listened to you talk about Rebecca mm -hmm. and and being in the room and and how you it sounds like you currently are in the room that perhaps a model where you're presenting wasn't necessarily what you had set out to do it wasn't the thing that you were looking forward to the most and that it's just a different yeah. beast in terms of it's a like, totally different beast room making the art right yeah it's a totally different beast and there's there's just yeah it's you know, it's really totally apples and oranges. And I, my like heart and soul when it comes to what type of art I love really is like crazy experimental art. So like I'm that so- That is under the radar. It's under the radar. <laughs> so like it's, it's um, so exciting to be able to have been a part of understanding how the presenting model works. But really also that's the kind of art that I like to produce and mm -hmm. being with the artists to make the kind of work leading up to it because that's when I can really also be the dramaturgical mind right. and, and bring that to it and yeah and being in that room and so that so it's this um and it, it's so funny because like soft power is um a main stage musical but there were such so many parts of it that were so weird and awesome and you know and non-traditional so the, so then there's times when it's like oh cool this is totally feeding this weird side of my brain because David Henry Wong has made this like super weird thing happen and I'm so excited so yeah so I do like to be with the artists yeah when they're when they're banging their heads against the wall because then I can be like hey here's another piece of wall I want to bang over here together <laughs> like let's just do it let's just figure this out um, that's amazing yeah yeah and so um what what would be what's next for you? I know that you know we've talked in the past before. I know you, you love your job and you're mm -hmm. really happy there. And but you know it's people think about the future. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, <laughs> like, um, do you think you know um, a few producer friends I have are like you know what this is really tiring. I don't know how mm -hmm. long I can do this. Yeah. Um, do you think that you'll keep producing for a while? Is there something in store for you later down the line that you have your eye on? Have you thought about going? you know, more like dramaturgy and freelance dramaturgy. Like what, what's next for Kelly? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I, 
I do love my job, but of course, it, it, it's, this is not my forever job. Eventually, I'll need to have some nights and weekends freer at some point. <laughs> but, you know, for now, screw it. Uh, uh, but I, I do think right now at the public, I'm really, uh, I've been totally learning so much about producing all caps. And so before that, I really felt like I knew a lot of dramaturgy all caps. And now I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the thing where I can really... And while I, whenever I'm a dramaturg, I would use my producing brain. And when I'm a producer, I use my dramaturg brain. But really, what is the job where I can blend both of them together, like hand and pocket? And so, I mean, I look at Mandy Hackett, who's the associate artistic director of the public. And she started out as the, um, as the producer of the public and then became associate artistic director. And she, I really see her use both of those skills. She was the literary manager at New York Theater Workshop even before she was the producer at the public. So so I, I see something. I'm like, oh, is it something like that that I go to? Uh, I also really have, I would say, exciting, weird taste. So if there's ever a role where I get to be someone who picks the art, like, is that the artistic director? Probably. But, you know, or, or some curator of some performance thing, that would be really... Uh, something that I would love because I feel like I I do part of my skills is that I feel like I can see something early on and understand like oh what the potential that this could be like this is a weird thing and this could be something awesome and I feel like I can help it become something awesome or I can I know who can help it become something awesome it doesn't always have to be me um, but <laughs> but uh, you know I think Mark Russell calls it like people who have the power to green light and mm. so it's like who like is there a world where I can have a job where I get to help say, yes, you're going to be in a season. Like, yes, we're going to make this thing happen. So, you know, honestly, that would be artistic director or yeah. performance curator or something I haven't thought of yet. People out there. Um, Everyone so. out there who is looking for an artistic director slash performance curator, Kelly Kerwin is maybe available. I could I'm be. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me a call. I'm give me a call. Basically, <laughs> just like... Um, pimped you out. Yeah, I ha- uh, happy. Great. Yes, wonderful, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I think that's. I just really. I also just. I find so much joy in in helping make, um, give artists the opportunity to like make their art. So, that's I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's beautiful. Do you have any advice for people who want to? be a producer who want to work in the arts who want to do drama who want to do something like what you're doing like yeah people have given you great advice do you have any yeah I mean the thing that has been so valuable on my own journey is just that I've had to just do it mm-hmm. <laughs> like um and make my own opportunities like when if if I feel like I've heard some people in the world that have been like and then someone called me on the phone and said do you want this job and I said yes and I'm like no one's ever called me on Thomas the phone. Schumacher yeah. oh. looking at you sir <laughs> yeah I just, just like, got a phone call oh like hey oh hey we're doing this Disney theatricals thing you want to you want to come you do wanna, it you want to do it yeah. Well, I would love, I've yet to have one of those phone calls. Uh, we'll be happy to have one. Happy to give out my phone number. Wait, so is that your advice to get one of those phone calls? Get one of those phone calls. Great. Just put your phone number on every telephone Great. pole and say, call me. Those little pieces of paper yeah. that have the little things that you rip yeah, off. Exactly. exactly. All over town. All over town. Um, 
Yeah. So since I have yet to get one of those phone calls, I, you know, first number one advice, get a phone call. Second is just, I just had to make things happen. Like I made that weird play festival happen because I wanted to direct. And then I, you know, I made a pop-up performance festival happen because I wanted to produce a festival. And I, I applied and got a very small yet mighty grant from LMDA and was able to make it happen on a shoestring. And it's just, it's really hard to make yourself vulnerable and do things and put your neck out there. But that's the way I've A, learned and B, been able to uh, talk about it in job interviews. I'll be like, oh, yes, I did this thing because I wasn't getting phone calls. So I had to make something happen and then do something and then say like, and I have also learned when I've interviewed people for roles at the public in the producing department that when people say, oh, well, I, you know, I self-produced something, I take that very seriously. I'm like, oh, you did, did you? That means you had to do everything. That's hard to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think if you really want to be a producer, you have to just either find your people and find the artists you want to try and work with and see if, you know, and find them. And if you or just find a project you're passionate about and just make it happen. <sighs> Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, PJ. (laughs) It's it's no easy way. It's not like, oh, if you do this thing, then it'll happen. But Right. Yeah, that's really good advice. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for talking producing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I could talk about myself for hours. It's been so (laughs) fun hearing about you. It's things that I should know because I've known you for a couple of years now. And and I didn't know. And I'm delighted to know it. Um, Again, thank you for being here. It's been really fun talking about producing. This has been another episode of Backstage at Brick, a special edition talking to Kelly Kerwin, line producer at the Public Theater, all about producing. Um, My name is BJ Evans. I am your host. We are recorded at the podcast studio at Brick, and we will catch you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.